mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Rob? Today, Russell, I am feeling analytical and inquisitive because our guest makes the most amazing films. They're sort of mixing the documentary genre, in a sense, with kind of fine art filmmaking. And they are very masterful in their construction. And I think today's guest is one of the most intelligent friends that I have. Because the way he deconstructs popular culture and the way that society is constructed and also the way that we build people up within the kind of public realm. Talk art. No, not talk art, my love. (laughs) You do have a very big ego, but that's a different thing. No, but the way that, you know, society and the media like to hype things up and then often without very critical analysis. Well, it's the British way of putting someone on the pedestal and then knocking them off. Exactly. But more recently, we've had a lot of like fallen heroes from the past. Quite horrific incidences with people in the public from the 70s and 80s and 90s and onwards. And his films have kind of put those people under a microscope but also calls into play all of our role within that as spectators as viewers as people that like grew up with these heroes that later become fallen heroes Mm. and are actually quite monsters you know like jimmy savile or you know all these horrible people anyway i think our guest also has a lot of empathy and i really like the way that he looks at these very big issues Mm. with heart Mm -hmm. so we would like to welcome to talk art guy Guy Oliver. oliver hi guy Hi guys. <laughs> <laughs> Hi guys. Hi guys. Singular. So guys. we're currently in Margate, which is your hometown, my hometown, and now Russell's hometown. We've all moved here. We're, we're neighbours, essentially. Yeah, we are. We have been, haven't we, for the last few years? Why did you move to Margate, guy? Uh, well, so I'm together with Lindsay Mendick, your previous guest, mm-hmm. and we. There was one day we were in Sheffield, actually, where Lindsay used to live, and. It just, we had a bit of a sort of eureka pop moment, like we could potentially move out of London and um, we could function and we could pay a lot less for, for you know, for the cost of living. Uh, and we thought, well, not, not Sheffield because Lindsay's already done Sheffield, uh, but we'd sort of visited Margate mm. not long before that and had a great day. It was like the hottest day of the year, that, that year, 2019. Oh, yeah. And we'd had a nice day. We'd we'd been to visit uh, Jack Lavender and Hannah Lees, two artists who live here, and, and they just seemed to have a nice life and a nice house. And it was uh, rather idyllic. And we thought, oh, maybe, maybe Margate. 
And so it's, that, it's like when you go on holiday and it's a beautiful place, you think, I could live here. Yeah. Do you know what I mean, if you came on a day and it's pissing down with rain, which most of the year it normally is here, is it? As no, it's it not. Sort That's of... a lie. Is it? It's actually a lie, Ross. I'm sorry. I'm really sick of this. The the, the weather <laughs> report. No, because the weather report constantly says it's raining here. It's hardly rained at all since I've it lived really here. It really has hardly rained. It hardly rains. Um... So let's get that on the record. Margate does not rain. Kent rains, but not Margate. And we've had about two weekends where we had those big storms and we didn't even get them that badly. All right. Well, imagine if Guy came and won those big weekends. And you've weekends. not lived here yet. You're just like... Imagine if you came on those lying. big weekends, you might not have wanted to move here as much. Well, Correct? Maybe. Maybe. You've loved but, living here, though, haven't you? Absolutely. And we arrived at sort of bang on the beginning, beginning of winter in October yeah, 2020. Yeah, which was quite a good test. And it was in lockdown as well. It was sort of like we escaped London between lockdown one and two which was such a relief. We were so desperate to get out. Um, but yeah, everyone says, oh, have you done the winter in Margate yet? And it's like, it's, like, it's, it's fine. It's, Honestly, still, it's still beautiful. I think it used to be harder. I think back before the town had started to have restaurants more and like, you know, when everything was boarded yeah, yeah. up, I imagine mm. living here then probably was it, quite grim because there wasn't much to do. Very, very seasonal, Like since yeah. we've all moved here, I think since 2017 onwards, there's such a community here, which you've actually been a huge part of building here, I think, you and Lindsay. Like what you've done with Quench is extraordinary. The way it's brought people together, given a platform for artists who now, you know, a lot of these artists never even had solo shows before. What is Quench? Quench is a public space, but you should talk about it because it's your gallery. So yes, it is a gallery that me and Lindsay uh, founded and we, yeah, we kind of had a vague idea that we might do this when we moved and we thought, well, you know, we could find a, a, a studio space that is reasonable enough that we could have a bit of excess that we could use as a sort of some sort of gallery project space um, and we were going to do that in quite a small uh, retail unit that we found in the old town and then that fell through and then we found in Cliftonville which is quite different to the old town the sort of like beachfront area uh, quite a large um, odd basement space and so sort of quench became a much bigger thing and so we yeah we wanted to create a platform for artists it was it sort of came out of the the whole pandemic period when everything was looking very dismal and bleak and things closing or also just a lot of negativity swirling around and kind of a lot of the kind of the art world wanting to call things out and criticize institutions or, or criticize anyone you know we were kind of in a bit of a tailspin mm -hmm. um at, at a certain point and we kind of you know there's still a lot of that uh that competition to call things out. And we kind of wanted to, I don't know, just be a bit more constructive and do something that could really help other artists. Um, so we kind of created this model where we wouldn't take any commission from what we what we would show. We wanted to sort of create... Uh, so the artists get 100%. 100% commission. Because a normal fraction that happens with galleries is that the artists will get 50% and the gallery or the hosting space would get 50%. And that's normally, and that's, that goes, and that's across the board for any art. And I think a lot of people don't realise that, a lot of people seeing yeah, art. the reason that happens is because the actual running costs of a public space, even the electricity, just the security, the um, CCTV, all of these things that are involved, the insurance, the shipping, the shipping is a big part of it, yeah. can cost so much money. Yeah. And that's what's so unusual about your project, because you've done a lot of crowdfunders, haven't you? To raise money to kind of A, pay the artists a fee as well. You give them a fee on top of letting them have all the sales. Do you? It's very generous. Yeah, that was that was our kind of intention. That it was almost like a bursary that the, the artists can use the money how they want, and we kind of don't don't interfere too much. 
you know, we, we kind of they're sort of self-curated by the artists, the shows. Um, it's the kind of opportunity that because we come from a background of being artists, it's yeah. sort of an Something ideal. you would love. To, yes, yeah. exactly. It's, it's the this, this scenario that we'd, we'd ideally want. How do you fund that then? So we started by making a, doing a crowdfunder campaign by selling editions of artworks, mainly Lindsay's ceramic artworks, and we created uh, merchandise, sort of quenched like tote bags and t-shirts and, um, and and various other things. And we've done this for two years running now. And so that that's, that went very well. Like the first year really kind of uh, took off. Mm-hmm. And then following that, we also uh, applied to the Arts Council uh, so, so yeah, all the money kind of goes towards artists or the running of of the the, the gallery, as you say. Yeah. Like learning on the job, how much money goes towards you know mm. just painting out the space, but mm. certainly sh- shipping, transporting works, and the energy and time that's involved too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so good the Arts Council came on board to support you. Um, you know, they've regularly supported you now, and I think it's such a brilliant thing because your space, compared to many others, I mean, I just think it's becoming a platform for like. Um, super talented people that none of us know yet. I guess yeah. it's on the art circuit as well for Margate. Yeah, and it has actually become part of the community yeah. in a way that, like, I think people sometimes set things up with that intention. But with you guys, I think it's been so kind of, it wasn't necessarily the main intention, but I think it's become a place that everybody goes to, you know, when they come to Margate. It's, yeah, it's really nice. It's, it's amazing when we hear of people who've, who've you know, so many people come down to, from London and beyond um to see the shows and it seems to have the word seems to have got round why quench why quench uh (laughs) we were going through words for some reason we were going through food related words and i suggested pinch as in like a pinch of salt and we thought oh that kind of that has a sort of satisfying um yeah yeah, onomatopoeic kind of thing and uh yeah we, we initially were pinch and then uh, Pinch, another arts organisation, got in touch with us to say, we're Pinch, you're pinching our name. <laughs> uh, so I think Quench was like a kind of floated around and it seemed to make sense as a sort of like thirst, seaside, you know, drinks, I don't know. Yeah, quenching to... your thirst, mm, quenching um... your cultural thirst. So I first heard about exactly. your own work because you essentially make films that's like i know you've made other works you've made sculptures yep. you've done all kinds of things and even installations i guess but but film is something that's a central theme within you and for those who don't know guy also has a penchant for amazing shirts and clothing so he's even had like the matrix like all over denim kind of like trousers and denim shirt or something well lindsay's got the denim jacket the, uh, the matrix jacket i've got the trousers yeah, you've got the trousers that's right that's right so you've got this whole kind of pop culture thing that even shows it today in your shirt like can you explain what you're wearing? Uh, it's a sort of renaissance. I think it's the uh, Sistine Chapel. Uh, actually, so Lindsay's mum found this online, but it's, um, yes. But the reason stunning. I mentioned that is because of pop culture, because you seem to always reference art history culture, but also pop culture within the clothes you wear, but then within the films you're making. So how did you first start getting interested in making films? Did you ever take photographs or was it always recording on, you know, with a film camera? Uh well, as a teenager, as, and in fact, as long as I can remember, I was always obsessed with films, um, you know, movie films. And um, particularly as a teenager, I, I always wanted, my, my, my ambition was to be a, you know, a movie director. Mm. And um, my whole life was sort of revolved around consuming and compiling films. I used to be really obsessive about my VHS collection. I'd kind of curate individual VHS tapes, so I'd have like 
three Coen brothers back to back on um, on one tape. And that'd be from recording off the telly, which is something that used to happen, kids. Um, <laughs> and I used to, you know, my, yeah, my my life was sort of evolved in this, revolved around this kind of trivia of, of film and, um, well, we're the same generation as well because you're you're not yeah. forty yet, are you? You're thirty nine. Uh, thirty nine. Yeah, so you'll yeah, be forty soon. So roughly the same age. So the TV and the films we were watching would have been exactly the same. That sort of nineties mm. really golden period. It seems like we we talk about in movie making in Hollywood in yeah. Hollywood superstars being yeah. out there. So these sort of influences were really tangible to you. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think of the eighties as the golden age for entertainment films. You know, sort of. Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, Gremlins, Indiana Jones. Them ones I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, which was really, and Star Wars. And so that was my kind of formative uh, obsession. I've got two older brothers as well. So it was like those things were our our lives. Um, Yeah, and then sort of going through my teenage years, I became really interested in contemporary art. And it was the the kind of Brit art generation. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was was fucking hot and exciting. and, And... dangerous and edgy and my parents you know hated it and you know and it was it was a sort of like a kind of punk moment for it was tabloidy for, wasn't it it was it was sort of cra- crossed over and yeah. um yeah crashed the mainstream yeah in a, in a really exciting way uh and i kind of loved the fact that the tabloids hated it and um you know i just thought that look at that you know uh a sheep cut in half in a tank that's that's fucking awesome you know. There was a real sense of freedom, wasn't there, as well? It was a bit like, fuck you, we're going to do what we want to do. Mm. We're talented. We've got ideas. We're going to change the world. And it felt so yeah. exciting as a teenager to see all that, didn't it? Yeah, and that they were young and the, it, the work was immediate. You could kind of, you didn't need to understand, I don't know, you didn't need a, th- you know, a theoretical understanding. It. Yeah, it you was, didn't it need was, a degree in art history it, or it something. Was, it was visceral. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. punchy. Uh, and so th- so gradually, I suppose, the two things merged and then I kind of understood that there was a thing called video art as well. Mm. Um, and so these sort of twin obsessions of art, and you know, art was always my sort of like thing I was best at, at school, I suppose. I was, you know, good at drawing. Um, and so, yeah, this, these obsessions kind of merged into uh, making video art. But did you see video art at that time that made you go, ah, oh, Eureka, that's, that's the angle I can go down? Yeah, I remember seeing things like Douglas Gordon and, uh, I don't know, like the Wilson twins and I'm trying to think. And then kind of I did a foundation course at Middlesex Uni I kind of discovered um, the works of like John Smith, who's remained a huge influential figure. John Smith, like? John Smith has been making work since the 70s. So he's kind of like a godfather of sort of British uh, conceptual video art. Mm. Uh, he's now represented by Kate McGarry Gallery. He's very, you know, he's got um, a very influential figure and he's was kind of pioneering in terms of kind of merging conceptual art with a, with a sort of comedic strand. And he's like, most famous film is called A Girl Chewing Gum, and he filmed it. It was like filmed in 1977, I think, uh, with a film camera, uh, just shot in a street in Dalston. And um, the joke is, or the 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 the, the uh, conceit is, you hear the voice of a director um, coordinating what you see on screen, but basically it's just a random s- street scene. Mm-hmm. And so he said, right, now the two teenagers, can you walk, walk by from the left? That's good. <laughs> And the, the 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 Ford Fiesta, can you move just right, pull, yeah. pull up? 
and it um so it's like a great I always think of it it's almost like a two Ronnie sketch yeah. it's like very close and it's like something that, that I think about a lot so it's a, comedy features a lot in my work um like as a subject um yeah humor's a huge yeah material and so I've always been in, inspired by comedy and comedians um but yeah John Smith is this sort of like interesting kind of bridge uh between kind of conceptual art and and it makes me think television of a, or comedy. Your because you did your MA at the RCA and your degree, you had a, a video called the em- Ambassadors, which is based on a Holbein painting, the Ambassadors, which is at the National Gallery. Yeah, and you, how did you see that? I'm trying to think where. It's online. Like, oh, yeah. It's online, mate. Fair and uh, I found it, and it's you are playing yourself filming and t- doing the vo- silly voices for both of the ambassadors, and then you're also playing the security guard that's telling you to get out, and one the. Amb- ambassadors farts at one point the other one's really embarrassed <laughs> mm. and it's so stupid but mm. brilliant and kind of i can see how that how you started there and where you're at now and you've always been part of the narrative you're not someone that you, you, guy appears whether you become a trope of something in yep. your material or you are playing uh, a male character archetype yep. you're always present and you are always leading the audience somewhere yeah like if you if i was to sum up what my work is about it's kind of about popular culture and my relationship to it and how it sort of has intertwined in my life and um you know the sort of narrative of life is punctuated by the sort of wider cultural landscape of what we kind of you know consume and absorb um and yeah and kind of issues of time and memory in relation to all of that it's yeah it all feeds in and i'm kind of there i suppose and that's i'm trying to think there was a point when i just suddenly realized oh well i can be in the films because that's kind of going to be easier Mm. um but then it then you you can't then detangle yourself from it i suppose one of the first sort of like performative videos i did when i was doing my degree uh Whereas I, I kind of performed as a wrestler. I was obsessed with WWF Me too. Res- wrestling. Who's your favourite? Ultimate Warrior. Oh my god! Yeah. So I like yeah. Big Boss Man. Oh yeah. And the Bushwhackers. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that that era. Mm-hmm. And it's for me, it's WWF. I don't care about WWE. WCW. No, no. WW. It changed to WWE. <laughs> oh, at, did it? I remember one Christmas I was obsessed with WWF. My mum got me a WCW. Oh, no. Oh, the wrestling ring. ring. Yeah. And I was like, you can't mix WWF <laughs> toys with the WCW ring. And she that's was kind devastated. Yeah. I think she yes, was. And the, I was like, this that's is... the poor man's, you know, uh, okay. option. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Um, so you stuck, you were loyal to WWF. Yeah. And you made a film about being a wrestler. Uh, yeah. I started kind of like revisited that as a subject. I started making these kind of video collages of all the, all the old footage and stuff. And uh, kind of going back. Uh, well, yeah, there's two things. So one, one, I kind of wanted to wanted to kind of revisit this obsession with the Ultimate Warrior, who was had this kind of face paint design mm-hmm. and was this kind of wild, uh, spiritual kind of nutcase yeah. um, who just says a force of steroid energy just oh, yeah. running around and swirl of color and stuff. Um, and then I, um, yeah, the first one I did was where I'm in my bedroom in in halls actually. Uh, at my university and I uh, perform the song Runaway by Dale Shannon in the role of what? Runaway Turner no no no, no, no. it's Bronsky Boot wow 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 wonder 
Why? 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 <laughs> she ran away. This is a guy classic. He's a great singer. <laughs> no, no, no. By the way, guys, <laughs> never off karaoke in the Ibris Lindsay. It's, it's like yeah. your thing. Um, it, yeah, it does come out karaoke, that particular number. Um, I'm sure I've heard it, actually. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, this kind of idea of kind of mixing two incongruous kind of references with me as the sort of conduit in the middle yeah uh, and it kind of it also i suppose there's always a sort of tragic tragicomic element to my work mm. that there's well, a comedy that, tragedy is you know yeah all kind the way of through. absurdity with a sort of sadness or yeah. mel- melancholy and th- why the subject uh of the wwf wrestlers was so interesting because at that point i realized that most of them were dead the prim- they were prematurely dying really? and I'm sorry to tell you if you don't know Big Boss Man uh, died no. in oh his God. 40s um, and Ultimate Warrior's dead Under why did the they die because of steroids and like brain hemorrhages or something yeah uh, banging va- various like, I've heard that rugby players now they're basically dancers are all getting brain tumors no but they injured themselves constantly so okay. they would be then addicted to painkillers and oh various other drugs like cocaine is the Undertaker still alive he is, and he's still wrestling, weirdly. <gasps> he's the only one, which is weird, because his role died, was being dead as the Undertaker. Yeah, that's right. So he's living forever. Uh, yeah, Andre the Giant, Mr. Perfect, Texas Tornado. Hulk Hogan's still alive. He's still alive, yeah. Legend. Weirdly, he was old. Jake the Snake. Uh, he's still alive. So basically, they're all still alive. Typhoon and Earthquake. <laughs> Earthquake's dead. Earthquake's oh. dead? Yeah, yeah, I think really? Typhoon died as well. Um, Legion of Doom. They're both dead now. No, both dead. Both dead. Yeah. No. So I'm, no. I'm. My heart's broken. Macho Man's dead. No. Randy Savage. Yeah. This is too much. It's it's a lot. I'm sorry to tell you. Ravishing Rick Rude. No. Wait. Is this is this in your Rick film then? The fact they've all died. This yeah. This the film. This film I made when I was doing my degree, and I kind of like made a sort of montage at the end of all of them that that, that died. Um, God. And and so there's this sort of like weird mortality thing that runs through my work as well that I keep kind of riff going back to kind of ideas of ghosts or um kind of the the um like I made a film recently the year that everyone died yes which I've seen yeah and it's yeah. kind of about it's a brain fuck that film yeah because <laughs> it, it's a your, your nan passed and you were very close to her and, and the year she passed is well, this right and everybody yeah it's it's about 2016 basically and I think everyone I think people were sort of very conscious of it at the time that for some reason it just seemed to be a kind of flurry of celebrities, quite, quite high-profile high celebrities dying, often, you know, not that old. Uh, like David Bowie died and people like Prince died and um, loads of high-profile people, Muhammad Ali, uh, Alan Rickman, um, Victoria Wood. Uh, but, yeah, it... And I sort of focused on this. And basically, it's a bit like, you know, the, the bit in the Oscars when yeah, the year in memoriam. Yes, exactly it's yeah, kind yeah, of like yeah. that, but kind of expanding it to a sort of like absurd degree. And I kind of create this kind of long form poem, basically, poem song thing. Um, it's all in kind of rhyming form. And um, kind of interested in how time creates kind of arbitrary connections that, you know, there's nothing else really connects so-and-so and so-and-so, like mm. Carrie Fisher and um, George Michael. But 
the fact that they sort of died and so that it, they died in 2016 as well yeah they died in um successive days so george michael died on christmas day and then carrie fisher died on boxing day oh my god and it was just sort of like relentless the whole year but i guess it's also like as a spectator or public you're watching all these different things so you might see a star wars movie you might listen to one of his songs and it creates this kind of like cultural tapestry within our minds doesn't it mm. so i guess there are like connections almost like if it's a galaxy of all these stars like as in like celebrities but somehow there is like a connection between them all and what i liked about your film was like the spark for the film is actually the loss of a family member and then you've got your own kind of grief but then it's interesting thinking about how you can um almost let your own grief out through grieving these people that you didn't even know do you know what i mean there's this i i found that really fascinating yeah so i mix together i do it all in in chronology it's so from the start of the year to the end mm. and so there's sort of uh, i lost a couple of friends that year and a couple of family members mm. so it's mm. kind of it's all kind of woven together essentially because that's the thing it's kind of you have relationships with celebrity figures that you don't know mm. usually through their art or, or mm. whatever they've mm. made um but you do kind of feel like you know them and you have a sense of loss when they die yeah mm. totally uh, and so yeah as i say it's kind of very much about how these things connect with your own life and i remember being at the funeral of, of my friend john and, mm. and it was that it was it was that week that prince and um victoria wood died and it was just it was all just a lot it was just so much to sort of um well the reality of death you, i guess yeah. was something very present omnipresent. It just it just seemed to hang over everything and also it was it was just a shit year because it was the year of Brexit and of of Trump's election, and so it just dark times. So I kind of like mix them all together, and and I'm just sort of I'm I'm interested in com, com, uh, not compiling years, but what creating a kind of commemoration of particular times. Um, just recently, been making these collages that are uh, of I've got these books, these yearbooks of like the kind of a compendium of a specific year. Mm. I've been creating these these these. Um, collages that are that are kind of abstract, but they are a kind of accumulation of images of that year. Uh, but I do it through this kind of automatic process, so I can transfer where that image lay on the page onto a new piece of paper, and then you mm. kind of overlay. So there's this, this arbitrary process to the image making. That it is. But this is an analog. This isn't a film now. This, this is, is this is analog. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of there's a there's a there's a sort of parallel. I kind of. Think of myself as a bit of a collagist, even. I've seen with... your Jar Jar Binks collages, which are a triumph. I think there's three <laughs> versions of those where you have Jar Jar Binks and you have collage, like paintwork in there, yeah. and brushstroke. And... Yeah, I kind of wanted to use, use a very um, identifiable uh, figurative image mm. as a sort of abstraction at mm -hmm, the same time. Mm -hmm. But also it's like a really loaded thing. Um, and they were really, they were a bit on the bone, actually, uh, kind of making them because it's, 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 I don't know if you know, but Jar Jar Binks was sort of like very controversial, even when it came out as being a kind of dodgy racial caricature. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, a kind of broad kind of Caribbean type uh, mm. stereotype. Um, and so I just, I kind of wanted to choose that one because Star Wars meant a lot to me, but uh Jar Jar Binks was this sort of like hated, um, sort of misjudged on every level thing. Mm. Um, those whole kind of prequels, I ha hated them. 
um, and they were a great disappointment. It was like it started as a sort of like, how can I make an ode to cultural failure or disappointment? Yeah. Because um, I kind of it took me years to get over that the, those films were bad because right. I waited my whole life for them. For them. Oh, yeah, I know. Um, Do and you then, like the newer ones? The newer ones, yes, we, yeah. they, they they were fine. That was what what we needed to kind of get over <laughs> yeah. the prequel films. But this this ode to cultural failure mm. that runs through for me most of your work, if not all of your work. Yeah, I think I'm drawn to kind of mess and sort of. But through your own, you've described it as your own personal mangled nostalgia. <laughs> yeah. Which is so, as we said, you, you set yourself in the narrative, but you are a uh, attracted to messy situations, but normally with men in the mm. public eye. Yeah, yeah. There's always, and I think it started with the the wrestling subject that it was coming back to a kind of the alpha. Is it the alpha? Yeah, the fact that it it's such a sort of hyper um, exaggerated mm. uh, alpha uh, vision of of masculinity. Mm. These, you know, these pumped up, up steroid um, men. Uh, and the kind of ridiculous sort of pantomime. It's quite, you know, it's super camp when you look at it oh, yeah. as well, ironically. And then kind yeah, of... the little pants and everything. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah, and the whole theatre of it, and yeah. the, the drama of it, the melodrama of it. Yeah, it's um, quite Shakespearean or something. It's quite old-fashioned, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. They're also amazing actors mm, and performers. Mm, it's mm. sort of like it gets forgotten that, like, you're in character like that. It's like... Mm. I bet a lot of them started off as actors yeah. and then they fell into... And quite Steroids. a few have, and, then, have... <laughs> and then got into wrestling. Yeah, and a lot, lots of have, have crossed over, like The Rock, or you know, yeah, um, into, into film acting. Um, but yeah, and then kind of, yeah, the wrestling with this sort of like with these kind of sad male love songs. Uh, I did another one with like a Roy Orbison song, where I was painting my face as um, in reverse as the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, kind of that like this idea of kind of male vulnerability was a thing that I kind of fo- focused on at that that point of my art practice. And, yeah, kind of ideas of, of masculine culture has, has kind of continued through my work. Well, toxic masculinity, masculine identity, mm. all of these phrases that are kind of buzzwords now yeah. for describing what it's like to be a man in society. Yeah. These are things that you, you are constantly mining and working through and experimenting with and analysing through your practice. And, and this film that I saw when I first came to your work, which was called You Know Nothing of My Work yeah. in 2020 at the Jerwood Space, was something that I found so incredible and nuanced and clever and troubling and problematic and everything. Yeah. But yeah. You, you tackled it head on in, in, in tackling material that people are terrified to go near. And we're talking about men that have been shamed publicly through the most heinous crimes, but they were once upheld as being, you know, the the height of culture, the height of entertainment, people, heroes for many people. Mm. And they've fallen off their pedestals. And you're, you know, as a society with cancel culture and post Me Too movement, we're all told to just kick them to the curve, forget about it. And there's something in you where, as Rob said at the beginning, you have this empathy where you're trying to understand that through your own narrative, which is yeah. so complicated and complex, but you do it in such an original, fresh, humorous way that you get it. And I've heard so many interviews, sorry, I'm going to let you talk. Yeah. I've just heard so many interviews where 
they talk about the subject of your work rather than the work as a whole. And everything I've been listening to of t- today is always about like you having to sort of defend your choices or defend the reason why you're attracted to that and not actually about the process of making that. Well, it was it's something that started a few years ago, this kind of uh, obsession with like, what what do we do? You know, it's an age old thing about, uh, you, you know, if you if you admire an artist or an artwork, um, and they're a shit person, mm. what does how do, how do you reconcile that? Um, do you, yeah, like what happens separa- to the artwork? Does it end up in the art s- bin? Yeah, how do you separate? <laughs> yeah. it? Do you separate yeah. the talent from the musician? Yeah. You mean yeah. like Michael Jackson now? Yeah, it's still someone that you can walk into a shop and they're still be playing his music. Yes, but we all know everybody in the world knows or thinks they understand of what he did mm-hmm. you know r kelly's been scrapped now hasn't he i think that's gone but the, these are fascinating you know modern times we're living in that these ta- highly talented yeah popular culture figures are being erased well it's it's like not like these are peripheral figures from culture these are sort of giants these are sort of like people who you can't uh, you can't conveniently pick them out mm. and and you know erase them yeah they're um, so much part of the fabric of life aren't they like their yeah. creative contribution but then behind the scenes they were actually monsters and like we never knew but they changed the game for so many other yeah, people exactly yeah. yeah it's really strange exactly and i think michael jackson is such a such an important figure with within that and it was it was interesting because one of the, the reasons why I sort of really kind of accelerated in my head was there was that um, uh, exhibition uh, around him at the National Portrait Gallery yes. in 2019, uh, yes. Michael Jackson on the Wall, Yes, which was a really interesting show, kind of, it was a sort of quite compendium of artworks, of, of artists' work that was inspired by him and his music. And because he's had such a sort of profound cultural impact um, on on the planet. And uh, so, of course, it's like a sort of valid subject. But uh, then when the Finding Neverland film came out the following year, I thought, God, how lucky they were that it didn't sort of like coincide, you know, and they would have been they would have been fucked, basically, just in terms of the backlash. And, you know, there is I think we're all experiencing a sort of opening of our eyes in, in a lot of ways. I think, you know, we're, we're experiencing a lot of sort of vast cultural change uh, in the last five years, particularly. Mm. Um, and that things like the allegations around Michael Jackson, we kind of had this sort of odd amnesia about that we kind of, we let it kind of float away. That oh, we, well, we don't know, you know, nothing was proven, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And then it's sort of like, oh, well, if, hang on. No, it was always there. It was always there was always enough to give us a clue of what mm. was really going on, but but it's also it's also hard because it's sort of like you the devotion of that uh, that he kind of uh, generated and the love of his music, you know, was so massive. I mean, growing up, he was the most famous person in the world, and so it was on the planet, literally, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so you have this idea of legacy, and then uh, as an artist, and and then it, then the artist gets exposed. What do you do? How do you kind of how do you navigate that with the sort of relationship to the artwork? 
so that's how it started and um and literally in within the film i i'm i'm sort of playing a role of myself mm. uh and the film starts with me walking into a charity shop mm. i'm kind of like a sort of naive version of myself um, which is one of your favorite things to do <laughs> yeah there's a Go sort of shopping. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh that that i do love yeah um and this literally would happen of me going going into to browse through the CDs because I still sort of like to sort of like go through old CDs and I would find um, Lost Profit CDs and uh, Lost Profits was a sort of punk band who if you if you know of them you'll know that the lead singer's in jail now because he's a paedophile and it, it was a really fucked up horrible case um, and so they just like overnight just not talked about but then you sort of see them and it's sort of weird concept of things poking through inconveniently. They're just sort of popping up, things that you try and sort of suppress, like a kind of a boil or something, you know. Mm. That you, you put a plaster over it and hide yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You'd be in the charity shop, I think, and it starts off, and I think you pull out a Rolf Harris and you'll... Yeah, the, the idea is that they then start, look around and see all of these materials, all these old books and DVDs by these... Guys who are now, you know, um, disgraced or discredited. Yeah, or... Kevin Spacey, Woody Allen. Mm. Yeah, Mel Gibson was in there. Um, O.J. Simpson. You know, like, it's, it's, a, it's a wide array now. It's, yeah. It's a, it's a, um, yeah, there's a lot of them. And there's a all, lot. We've all had to kind of confront this. We've all kind of thought about this. And it's, I, I like kind of taking subjects that people already have some kind of grip on. Oh yeah, like an understanding of yeah, yeah their own response to it, but also that you. When I was watching it, you've got a real feeling is like, why is he talking about this? <laughs> because you do feel like you're not supposed to, and yeah, like. But what's fascinating about it is, I think your film highlights the kind of systematic um, errors and structures that were around those people that almost enabled their um, evil behaviour. Or do you know what I mean? Like, like the the super fame of someone like Michael mm-hmm. Jackson or like Jimmy Savile or all these people, and then suddenly the freedom that might give them or something. It's really dark. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com But also, the thing that made me think in your films is I sometimes really struggle watching films, film art, from start to finish, and I might dip in. But with your one, I watched it from start to finish, because you kind of can't not. And... I'm really glad I did because as it goes on, it's almost in like chapters that that, that film. Yeah, it's multi-chapter. And, I mean, yeah. with what do you call it? Um, spoiler alert! But but t- towards the end, it's like there's this eureka moment with a guest, um, a friend of yours who's in it, who just sort of makes it all. You know, you suddenly see a different perspective, the voice yeah. of a woman, and it's really strong. I mean, it's such a great ending to the film. Well, it it, it is. 
it, it would change it if you just saw the like the first couple of yeah, chapters totally. and not later and you and you know I, some of it's quite obnoxious and it's yeah. sort of like you know I'm I'm also playing with this sort of BBC type uh, character of a, of a sort of broadcaster type figure which I've sort of done before I'm kind of interested in those old old sort of very BBC um, related kind of uh, documentary old roles of the sort of arts authority broadcaster figure mm-hmm. you know people like kind of um robert hughes or, oh. or kenneth clark and kind of using that as a sort of as a reference point in itself because the bbc i do kind of implicate them i suppose that you know these figures rolf harris and uh, jimmy savile in particular that we just was were just there and top of the pops particularly mm-hmm. your mum was, was a dancer on top of the pops. she was there and she remembers seeing Jimmy Savile, and she sort of says that, you know, that everyone knew he was creepy, mm, you know, but, yeah. uh, and the, apparently just, it, it was just that everything at the top of the pops was just rife. Was, everyone was in on it and it was just a sort of a free-for-all and really, really vile, uh, which is so sad because the th- something like top of the pops was so important culturally, mm, you know, mm, the cu- mm. cultural history of this country uh, was essential and we remember it, you know, when we when we were young and it's sort of sad that it's... It, doesn't exist but it's you know then you feel bad like perhaps it should you know be consigned to the dustbin because it was you know this this dark side this underside to it which was vile um but yeah where where was i um yeah the 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 thread through the film it kind of it's supposed to be i wanted it to be a genuine kind of journey of discovery that i am this figure that that through kind of different conversations actually learns more about it which was sort of echoed the making of it, you know, because I was having conversations with people. I think the scene you're talking about with um, Rebecca Taylor, who's um, the singer Self Esteem, she she plays um, it. Uh, we didn't actually say it's a musical as well. It's sort of the, the whole yeah. film is done in a musical form. Um, but it, it your is, singing skills yeah. <laughs> are documented on film. Yes, um, we won't talk about that. But uh, no, yeah, I mean, well, that's the sort of joke as well that I can't really sing, and I'm not a singer. But Rebecca certainly can. And in this film, I'm kind of playing a kind of university type lecturer uh, who's being challenged by by the, uh, Rebecca's character, and it's done through kind of song form. And it's called actually "Trapped in the Lecture Theatre," which is a reference to "Trapped in the Closet" by. R. Kelly um, and kind of using sort of like references to musical references to that. Um, And so it acts as an important kind of deconstruction of my position as me kind of as as a, you know, a white straight male artist kind of tackling the subject um, and the problems of that and Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, you know, the weaknesses that I would have Mm -hmm. as a sort of putting myself as a sort of authority figure uh, analysing this in a, in a sort of objective um, academic sort of way. Mm. And that's very much, those those ideas came about through conversations with Lindsay in particular of, of her really challenging me. Mm. It's like, no, it's, it's, it's all very well for you to sort of find these things interesting, but no, it's, it's, it's very different if you, you know, depending on who you are, mm. there's very important, perspectives that you need to kind of think about and Mm. and you have to be so sensitive and and making this work did you have panics and fears when you were putting it out there well it's weird because we finished it just bang on uh, the start of the pandemic really it was like march the 13th 
2020 and it was supposed to be shown in April um, and so it had to be shelved for six months and I didn't watch it during that time and we, me and Lindsay watched it at the opening and we both felt, oh, fucking hell, did I do this? You know, I kind of, I suppose the the subject is the sort of anxiety about talking about it So, that, and I suppose that's why I've used humour in a way to kind of satirise my own an- anxious feelings about what can we talk about when it comes to this or what can what do we think what are we supposed to think yeah. about these things like do can i watch kevin spacey's movies can i listen to r kelly's music what's what's there's a sort of social etiquette around these things because as i said before things are changing very quickly and and yeah, things are being thrashed out in in the public it's a sort of battle for sort of public values and it's it's quite an exciting time, but it's also quite, you know a, a, a time full of full of anxiety and trepidation, yeah. and yeah. Um, no one's really sure. You know, look at institutions. You know, like uh, soon after that, you know, the, when the tape pulled the Philip Guston exhibition, you know, yeah. there's so much fear of of making a wrong move, mm. and I suppose I did sort of dive into that headlong um, in a sort of foolhardy. No one else is doing. Way. That. That's what's so incredible is that. No one else is. It's, it takes some bravery to tackle that as well. Well, also then, is it a kind of a double a double trick? You know, is it a, a double bluff? You know, am I virtue signalling by kind of putting myself in? And I kind of want the, the yeah, viewer yeah, to be yeah. confused by that because it's. Well, it you was, do change the like you're with you, then you're kind of like, hang on a minute, mate, and then you're with you again, and but you're because you're playing all these archetypes, you are challenging yourself constantly and having yeah. people come in like Rebecca's character who's challenging yep. you but the public consensus you know public opinion is constantly be going back and forth which yep. it is which you know it, politics it's always shifting isn't it yeah, never, yeah. there isn't really I mean in these cases yes there is a right and wrong but what you're saying and this is in the way that people can talk about it it's like what's right what is wrong yeah and I think that the idea of um I wanted to implicate myself because I want the, the viewers to sort of like question their own uh, positions. It's sort of the fact that it kind of, I guess a lot of my work becomes down to kind of ideas of morality, I suppose. And it being, I don't, I don't want, well, life isn't straightforward and life, mm-hmm. you know, uh, moral questions are complicated. And when people kind of, uh, what can I say, you know, People call out. You can, you, can, you can sometimes be suspicious about why people are calling things out because, of course, it makes people. It separates any person from what they're criticizing. It elevates them if they're if they're in a position of criticizing something. Mm. They they are sort of elevated from the subject, and you know when it borders into sort of self righteousness or, or or a kind of self satisfied criticism mm. rather than questioning whether well perhaps we're all. Complicit. I suppose I'm interested in the fact of society and culture being kind of interconnected in a very complicated way that, you know, we live in this country. So you kind of have to accept the country as a whole or, you know, you have to participate in culture Mm. um, and take sort of responsibility for it, Um, which doesn't mean kind of separating yourself. And perhaps, you know, I think the idea of, disagreement is 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 very interesting to me now i think mm. we're sort of we're less able to to um 
have different political differences with each other in sort of public discourses, it gets more and more. Um, what would what do you call it? Kind of exacerbated to a kind of like a heightened hysterical degree yeah, that it, there's no, there's no kind of actual dialogue. Um, mm. So yeah, I kind of I implicate myself by as a way of sort of offering offering the viewer to implicate themselves. Yeah. I also like the fact that art can be a space to have those uncomfortable conversations, and that that it is an artwork. Do you know what I mean? Then the audience is intelligent enough to sit down and watch your film and go on that journey with you and understands that you're, you know, highlighting these issues from a very particular point of view, if you get what I mean. Like, I, I don't know, I think it's the, the fact it's an artwork and that you've chosen to make a film, like an art film, mm, is yeah. really important. Because if you think of like Gaston, for example, it's quite patronising of them to take that show down and like cancel it all. It's now all going back on again, I, I heard. Yeah, I think the okay. Tate are now putting it on. Yeah. But this idea that the audience isn't intelligent that enough they can't work to understand out. They can't that hold complex he wasn't ideas. racist. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, of course, they, we can all, we've all got the capacity to hold complex ideas and understand mm. things like... And also that's the point of art is, art is to bring up those issues for us to confront them within ourselves. Like yeah. that's what I think is really great about your films is that they, you know, they're, they're doing what art should do, if that makes sense. Yeah. And there's no, uh, there's no like conclusion really. No. Like, I don't have, I don't have, I say it in the film, I don't have the answers. Mm. I still don't know what to, what, what we do with, mm. you know, with Michael Jackson's music, yeah. you know, is it okay? Is well, it's it, true, though. Is I go to the supermarket and you sometimes still hear it playing. It's yeah. not like it hasn't been totally... But you're not saying this is what we should be doing. No, no, you're, no. You're just analysing and, 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 and questioning, constantly questioning, which is what we as a society are doing. Yeah. But you're questioning uncomfortable things. that you, You're challenging cancel culture through disarming musical comedy. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> so. But I like the fact that it kind of doesn't necessarily look like an art film. It is almost like a sort of... A sort of elaborate uh, sketch Theatrical comedy, or, yeah, yeah, no, you're like right. Yeah. Televisual, even the way you language. present things and say the way your your speeches, you know, the way you're using language and your voice, is really deliberate, isn't it? It's like yeah, a, yeah. Do you still want to direct movies? I still have a sort of uh, desire, yeah. And it's nice that there are quite a few um, contemporary artists that sort of move over into feature film. Yeah, Steve McQueen, Sam yeah. Taylor Wood, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's kind of important precedents. Oh, Thank you. sorry, I don't know what just happened there. That's your, um, you been doing an interview with somebody. Oh. Yeah, it's on the film and video umbrella. Fair enough. Sorry. So what yes. is forthcoming for you? So you, you're in Margate, Lindsay's working very hard, you're working very hard. What are you working very hard on at the minute, Guy, apart from running a gallery space that's not profit for you guys? <laughs> well, um, I'm starting a project, uh, a new film project, that is probably going to be the most personal thing I've done because it's, the subject is my family, I suppose, or a kind of particular time in the life of my family. Basically, like our adolescence. So I've got, um, I'm the youngest of three brothers, so I've got two older brothers. And um, I suppose the overall uh, title of the project is called Badly Drawn Boys, because we, we, there was a period of time when we were just in and out of hospital a lot. Um, that. Well, yeah, either through accidents, but mostly um, conditions. Me and my middle brother both had scoliosis, which is spinal curvature. Um, and so he had a, he had surgery when he was 15, when it was discovered. Um, 
and then soon after that it, I was discovered to have it at early stages and so I sort of like my teams were sort of dominated by being sort of treated for that and then I had surgery for that when I was 18. On your spine? On my spine so oh my God. So I've got um, two metal rods in my <gasps> spine that, that stay there for life so they're about a foot long so most of my spine is sort of rigid. And didn't um, you have to wear a brace for a long time? Yeah. You had to so like go to school for a year or something wearing a brace. Is oh, that for, right? for a few years. A few years, yeah. yeah Do you for, beat when you go through like security? <laughs> it's always the first question. Is it? But uh, it doesn't, <laughs> not through the arch, but if you wave the wand there, yeah, it he does, lights does up. go off. <laughs> did, you, did you experience a lot of bullying then in that era um, when you were at school? No, well, sometimes people would call me cripple to uh, Really? Something like that, yeah, oh, to God. sort of wind me up uh, oh. and then would sort of kick off and um but yeah because I kind of didn't wear uniform because I had this brace so I had to sort of wear loose fitting clothing um so it was it it's was quite a lot to go through at 18 isn't it well it was from like 13 to God. 18 so mm. it was sort of I think I was start, yeah I started wearing the brace when I was like well 12 or how's your brother now is he fine uh yeah yeah he had he had more complications than me but um but yeah, it was just this kind of weird run, and it was sort of like we and we also both got like appendicitis within that, and then my other brother got hit by a car. Oh. Um, so and it was sort of like successive years in the nineties. So there was a point where we all had metalwork in our bodies at the same time, um, and it's just the fact that it was sort of like centered around our adolescence and sort of like the idea of, I suppose, I'm making sort of metaphorical links between sort of development and growth and. Um, and how they kind of informed us as adults and kind of like looking back, sort of like, you know, I'm about to turn 40, my brothers are in their 40s. This idea of kind of looking back at that time, how it's, um, how it sort of defined uh, life for us mm. in, a, in, a lot, in a lot of ways. or how, But also it kind of like helped me become an artist, I suppose, because I documented uh, that time. I kind of made an art project out of it when I was still in my sixth form. And it sort of featured a little bit or just that it was this, um, yeah, this this formative time. And you used to document it, didn't you, yourself? Like you would document yeah, what you were going like a, through? Yeah, I had a video camera in yeah. hospital. I made a film around it. So is this going to feature in the latest? Well, the film is potentially digitally lost, unfortunately. Yeah. But there's a lot of photo, photographic documentation. But the, the, the fact that this film is lost will become part of the... Ah, oh, part of the, the, the new film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is sort of like, I always kind of weave in failure, fa- the failure of making often within my films. Mm. There was one time when I uh, made a film about learning to ride a bike because I never learned to ride a bike. Still haven't. I Well, the only time I have was to make this film the one day. And it's sort of, there's lots of ideas about kind of childhood. I suppose this idea of masculinity that runs through it is a sort of like, a sort of, not a failure of adulthood, but a kind of anxiety about adulthood, never feeling fully adult, and like not not being able to ride a bike being a, a sort it's, of it's metaphor like of that. Out, isn't it? It's like I can't drive, I <laughs> yeah, can't yeah. ride a bike, I can't swim. Yeah, it, it feels like people go, "What?" It's like uh, what do you call it? A social contract that you get to a certain age, you should be able to do all these things, obviously. Exactly. And if you don't, yeah. it's like, "Well, what happened to you?" Yeah, you like, why are you not a proper adult? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And but yeah, like within the making of that it was all quite a haphazard day, and I got this guy, the student, to help me film it. And um, as I'm cycling off down the way, 
the camera picks up him talking to his friend saying, I'm working with this guy. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He's, he's an absolute <laughs> idiot. Uh, you know, he didn't. He, you know, didn't have a camera. And and so I ended up keeping that in the oh, film. Oh, brilliant! Um, I love that. <laughs> so this one's a musical as well, or not? Sorry. No, this. No. Well, it, I had music is always featured in it. I, I used the song "Song for Guy" by Elton John oh, as the soundtrack oh, to that film, actually. And then I start. There's my, no words in that song, except at the end uh, where he repeats repeats the phrase "Life isn't everything." And then I mime those those words. Um, yeah, beautiful song. Beautiful song. Um, it's about? interesting this idea of like failure of creativity as well. Because I was talking to someone about Louise Bourgeois. I went and saw her show in London, and apparently, when she finished a work, to her it was gone, and she mm. didn't really have that much, um, you know, emotional response to it. I mean, I'm sure she still cared about it, but if something got lost or disappeared, I don't think she minded, apparently. And there's, well, there's a, fam- a video famous of her, footage of her yeah, yeah, throwing... When she throws a sculpture when it's finished. There's a few few of her ceramic sculptures, she's just ch- chucking them on the floor. Yeah, and they smash, don't they? And it's very... It's very- gestural it's very it's quite theatrical yeah like but it's interesting it thinking for effect, of, but, yeah but, but also, the idea that like the work is enough that like the idea in the process it's conceptual of it, isn't it yeah yeah but also like i i i hate losing things uh-huh. and it's sort of like it's um been this sort of terror that i think I, I don't know if this thing still exists and um i don't know how to tell my family that it doesn't quite exist because it was like a very important sort of document um, as, you know, of, so what happens is VHS tape just like we had it out. on VHS tapes, and then I can't I don't know what happened to them. And it's it was on a computer, but it was this was back in like two thousand two thousand one, and it's like um, oh, it's got to be on a cloud drive. somewhere. I just yeah, we'll we'll see. I've got some old DV tapes. It might be oh, you know yeah, but I'm sort of terrified of looking because it's mm. like. Because you, you like all hope is there. Yeah, I can, I can, be, I can yeah. pretend that it might exist somewhere if yeah. I look and can't find it. But either way, it's it's like um, it's there. It will then sort of like a sort of remaking of that mm. will will exist within the film. Oh, wow. Hopefully, I, I've always found it really unfair for video artists, like the lack of support and. Um, the way that you know if you're a painter it's so much easier in a sense to suddenly make money and like have something that's a commodity that people can understand much faster and of course there's really successful film artists and artists that make performances and all different kinds of things but what's it been like for you because i know you've had a lot of support from different organizations like the film and video umbrella and jerwood in and the particular jarman award and the jarman award and... which you were nominated for yeah like is that has that been like life-changing and really helped you to make your work yeah, it was particularly the the um, the so it's Jerwood and Film and Video Umbrella uh, who work together. They do mm. an annual um, film award, and uh, yeah, it was something that I'd always dreamed about. I knew this award award existed. I always followed it, and I'd actually been uh, I'd got to interview twice before I actually got it. So I was like incredibly close. That was that was really heartbreaking, and I finally got it. And um, to actually have that whole kind of team around you, like because it, it, you can't you can't make films on your own. It really is a sort of collaborative process. However you want to, you know, go about making uh, your work. the edit. No, the edit you're by yourself. Like yeah. the, the materiality of that is you and a laptop and an edit system. Yeah, and that's why I'm most comfortable. Really, I right. suppose of any kind of technique that I use as an artist, I love editing and I often use a lot of found footage. Um, so I'm kind of happy just not involving myself with loads of other people but um but that was such a great experience 
um, having a being assigned a producer and kind of working with the whole team, mm. um, and then having like a crew for the shoots that we did, and how collaborative it was actually. It really did sort of help me to kind of uh, reach out and kind of expand. I wouldn't have made the film that I did if it wasn't you know for working with you know with Lindsay, with Rebecca, with Susie who did the music, Susie Davis. With, um, and it was really important, you know, kind of working with women with sort of like the subject that I was working on, you mm. know. Um, and Katie Byford, my producer. Um, yeah, it was it was massive. And it's uh, it's hard to kind of once you've done that, what kind of have that kind of experience, it's hard to sort of get it again without getting a kind of major commission. But, you know, it's sort of you find you. As, as artists, you just have to be resilient and kind of work with people. You kind of scramble things together. And, you have to keep um, the hope, don't you? And the and the kind of um, the belief that it's what you should be doing in yeah. order to keep making. It's a really hard. Yeah, thing, and also the inspiration because these, you know, you can go to studio if you are uh, an analog painter, painter, drawer. You you're there hand head to hand to paper. Yeah, you know, canvas. But if you're making films, it's a completely it's a long, long-term commitment, isn't yeah. it? And to come up with them ideas and the edit, it's like these artworks might take a year more to kind of finalise. Yeah, it's a weird thing. And it's sort of like, it's such an irrational thing to make art anyway. So it's a sort of scary thing to having, having to front money up, up front um, mm. when it's hard, as you say, it's hard to make money back. But thankfully, you know, there's, there's, there's a big place for video art in the art world. Um, even though it's harder to make money. And, mm. and yeah, I, as I say, I'm working towards a new project now. I'm applying for funding. Uh, I'm, conf- you know, not confident, optimistic, you know, one by hook or by crook, it, it will happen. Are they additions, your films in? Yes, they usually are. What, yeah, what's so the edition number? Uh, five, I think we worked out with, the, with like, the, you know, nothing of my work. Uh, and you've sold your work, haven't you? I have in the past, yes, yeah, but not a lot in terms of in terms of video editions. Do you ever get frustrated with yourself that that is your chosen medium of choice to tell your <laughs> stories? You do get jealous of painters or other you know practitioners for the sort of directness of it and the kind of um, the the <laughs> the opportunities for making money, but. I don't know. I know that that is my kind of, although I always make other stuff, that's the thing I have an affinity for. Mm. And I kind of, it's my sort of natural medium, you know. Mm. What was it been like collaborating with, even like with Lindsay, who's your partner, obviously, but I know you've made films with her. Yeah. Like you've helped edit and contribute to the films. I think they're even titled as both of your names on the on the films. Like the one... Um, that was in London recently at Cook Latham Gallery. Yeah. Um, what's it like working with someone you're going out with, but also um, someone like Rebecca, you know, self-esteem, who's got this incredible presence and um, strength of character? Is is it is it really? Did you sort of learn a lot from both of them? Yeah, definitely. It, well, the, the the films I've made with Lindsay have been really great, actually, because it's they're definitely her works mm. and her concept. So I'm kind of um, she has an idea of what she wants and mm. that I can kind of, I have a certain amount of free reign to kind of create that. I think, and we've talked about this, if it was 
a genuine kind of collaboration where we had to sort of like where we were kind of 50 50 partners to create something new that would be really complicated mm. and could sort of lead to conflict because <laughs> we're just you know we're both very headstrong as artists or we have you know a kind of defined language yeah um and it would be hard to to split that 50 50 i mean Lindsay is very good at, at, at collaborating i mean the show that she's doing for carl friedman it was it's involving uh, a number of people uh you know fulfilling different roles and as i say like it was it was great to kind of have that experience i reached out to so many people i wanted like for the jerwood fu project i was reaching out to journalists and things and I tried to get in touch with a um, musician that really nearly happened, actually. This guy called Jeffrey Lewis. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, He's yeah. a singer-songwriter from New York who's always been one of my biggest inspirations, actually. He kind of inspired the the kind of rhyme, the rhyming song form style mm-hmm. that I've kind of fallen into. Mm. Um, he does these kind of narrative, very witty, very kind of ingenious kind of wordplay uh, songs about... And, he, you know, he's a kind of beta male caricature, like, um, not, you know, he is himself, but he's very, uh, what do you say? He kind of, he kind of makes work about his own sort of failings, I suppose. Mm. And there was this interesting thing. There's a Woody Allen thread throughout that um, film that I kind of saw, like, me and Jeffrey Lewis as sort of offspring in some way mm. of someone like Woody Allen. Mm. So Woody Allen has always been a massive inspiration for me. Mm. As I say, I sort of take, take inspiration from mm. comedians and, and songwriters. And also another, he's a very complicated person. Yeah, well, and there's actually a lot of grieving on your, on your side. For that's a hero that's yeah. really falling. Yeah, and I think it was important to kind of take somebody that really meant a lot to me, mm. uh, culturally, creatively, mm. and that I've taken um, a large amount of inspiration from. You know, I still think as an artist, he's, he's massively important. Um, it kind of elevated the kind of the, the concept of what comedy can do. Mm. Um, and as a sort of postmodern figure, he's, mm. you know, really influential and groundbreaking. But now we kind of, we, we, know, we know certain things for, for fact and, and there are other things mm. that um, he's been accused of. But it's it's very complicated when it's an artist that's so tied to themselves that their whole art is tied to their own persona. Because uh, some some artists have a separation. Uh, you know, when we talk about like Wagner or something, of being a complicated, problematic uh, figure mm. in music. Mm. Well, it, it, he Why makes problematic. What did he do? Uh, well, he was a big uh, influence on Adolf Hitler. He was a, oh, God. He, a massive anti-Semite and wrote a lot of kind of influential, um, sadly influential writing. And but, but his music is revered. I mean, they... yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's very, it's 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 been controversial in the classical music world. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, he's not played in Israel. That's for sure. Right. Oh my God. So he's kind of one of those int- integral figures of like, oh, can you separate art from the artist? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's like because it's music, the music itself doesn't have content. Really. Yeah, the music it's, doesn't it's, have words. It's abstract, yeah. essentially. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not his voice singing yes. over the top mm. of it. Or but then with Woody Allen, his whole life was there in his work, mm. and it becomes very uncomfortable when you watch mm. like Manhattan, where he's dating a seventeen-year-old girl, mm. uh, and it's treated as sort of normal and 
there's other weird things within his work where you think, why, why are you including that? That's, you know, like jokes about... Yeah, it's bad, isn't it? Um, there's, a, there's an awkward scene in Stardust Memories where his girlfriend is accusing him of flirting with her... 13-year-old cousin Sister or, something. or something. Yeah, cousin, yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's like it was quite it didn't need to be in the film. It was like, why are you doing that? And it's like this sort of double bluff game that a lot of these figures did. I know, well Jimmy Savile did that loads too. Yeah. Like was publicly like say yeah. on record. Yeah, I'm, weird, I'm weird a pervert, stuff. you know. And, yeah. And it throws, throws people. Benny Hill the other day come up on some YouTube deep dive on something. I watched it for a bit and I thought this is so shocking that this, these old men are running around parks chasing girls and raping them, basically, and it's comedy. Yeah. And I was, just, I was like, this was on TV. This was family entertainment. It's it was so massive. What? It was yeah. massive. the most popular show. But that just shows you the cultural shift in the way that hopefully things are starting to improve. But, I mean, I don't yeah. know. It's just it's devastating, really. But I also find that really interesting. If you think of Rebecca, like, Self-Esteem's mm-hmm. album, you think of Lindsay's next show, mm-hmm. which is looking at, like, women in history and how for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years women have been cancelled, women have been held back, you know, all these kind of... But I feel like it's interesting, the three of you, four of you... Like, like there's a gang of you here, mm. all the conversations you're having mm. and how it's all pushing each of you onwards in your own direction. It's really cool. Yeah, this sort of radical honesty that we all try yes. and achieve. And, um, and push each other to explore more. Yeah. Like, it's really cool. Yeah, that kind of idea of like, no, go further. Go yeah. like, <laughs> that's, that you could make a kind of really glib statement, but why don't you make a really difficult, complicated Yeah or put forward a complicated idea that's, yeah. that we don't know the answer to, you know. Exactly. It's brilliant. Well, before we get into our final questions, I've got one really serious question to ask you. You are now a dog owner. Yes. And has that affected <laughs> your work in any way? And can we talk about telly, your pug? Uh, I mean, it affected my life a lot because mm. it's like, turns out dogs are quite time-consuming. Okay. <laughs> They're quite yeah. hard work to look after. They're a privilege to be burdened with. Yes, yeah, I'm madly in love with him. Um, we both are. He's he's wonderful. He's prize-winning as well. That's right, on the dog show recently here. Yes, Cliftonville dog show. He won uh, Best Dressed Dog. I was so there. Many people, I'm witness So to many this. people were competing <laughs> for that prize. I he, was the documentary maker that day. Yeah. I made had, loads of he films. he had three heads, didn't he, for that <laughs> yeah, prize? Yeah, the, well, the, the costume was a work of art. It was like horror meets beauty. It yeah. was kind of like a really heads. interesting dynamic there. Very American horror story style. <laughs> and Lindsay's mum's an amazing uh, sewer. And... So funny. Yeah, she made she made the outfit with, with Lindsay's brief and it was... Telly's just the sweetest dog as well. He's I've the kindest little energy. Desperate he looks you. at you and he's just got this genuinely kind soul. He's really strange little, little he's angel. He's very friendly. Yeah, you he loves... two are very kind. I always think yeah. you know, pets mimic their parents. That's true. I think you two have a very kind open generous energy yeah. so oh, thank glad you. any documentaries in the making about your dog <laughs> i can well we've already talked about possibly doing portraits like that that could be our our um collaborative Love venture this. yeah this oh, is please what, you, this do is that. what your career's been building towards yes. guys. <laughs> this is what we will be waiting for well, actually i used to use my cat a lot in my work and there's a film i made about so, sort of about ghosts actually and i feature my dead i kind of create a, a conversation with myself talking to my dead Cat Boddington. Um, Boddington. I'll show you that. Songs of Eternal Praise, this film I made, all about kind of death and moving image. Oh, Because I've got 
got an old video of him sitting by his food bowl and I kind of superimposed it into the film with me talking to him. Wow. Um, yeah, it, got, it, it was a bit of a tearjerker. Oh, got, got a few people well, I, I, I believe he was, telly, he a telly is a work of art, so yeah. I'm really excited to see him in art. Um, <laughs> so we ask every guest two questions. The first is, if you could do an art heist and take home any artwork or, um, I don't know, even a building or anything that you like, maybe a cinema um, <laughs> that, that you like, what would you take home? Uh, well, this is tricky for me, uh, triggering, because I was a security guard at, uh, at a museum for 10 years. So, you know, the idea of an art heist is... Where was it? National Gallery? <laughs> at the National Gallery, yes. I, it, um, I, oh, this I, is how you was able to film <laughs> the ambassadors then? Yeah, the yeah. Right, that was right. actually me. I, I got a friend to film as if, because at the time there was no photography allowed. So yeah, I, oh, and you were that you were actually security guard on that day. That was so in that was in the room. You were in the film, thinking you're a security guard saying stop filming. Yep, yeah, yeah. very so very meta. Genius, it's very, <laughs> very meta. meta. Yes. So, so you got to steal something. Yeah, we're forcing you. Okay, well, I'd steal something from National Gallery. It would be uh, it's a small portrait by Anthony Van Dyke, and it's uh, called it's called Portrait of Cornelius Van der Geest. Mm. And it's uh, it's a really sort of tight close up of, a, of an old man with a ruff, and it's just the most astonishing act of painting. Um, it's it's phenomenal. It's so alive. It's just particularly through these kind of highlights, you know, kind of white highlights of just glistening eyeball and you know moisture on his lip. Uh, and it's really sad, kind of like it's warts and all kind of portrait, but it's just phenomenal. And Glenn Brown did a, um, a version of it where he's kind of, you know, through his sort of style. And it's, um, but yeah, that that would be, and it's quite small, so it could And you'd know, you'd know the roots out of there, I'm sure. As Easy well. to put in your pocket. Exactly. And I can't, I can't as a disclose. guard, would you be allowed to go and sort of hang out in front of the artworks or are you, was you always assigned to a zone? <laughs> no, thank God. We, we, I did every corner of that gallery. Um, yeah, if I was just one one room forever, get a bit repetitive after ten. It years. was plenty repetitive <laughs> anyway. I can, like I kind of like sick of those paintings, even though it's the, like the greatest art collection in the world. Yeah, uh, I know it all too well. What is your favourite colour and why? Um, I always think of my, one of my old tutors, Tim Allen, uh, who was he's a great uh, abstract painter, and he, he's his response to that question was, "It's a terrible question." <laughs> and it's only his he, he would only answer it in terms of combinations of colors because okay. i suppose in real life colors aren't in uh, isolation um but saying that i'll go for purple oh right after all of that <laughs> purple, <laughs> and purple. purple and yellow purple and yellow Not together <laughs> yeah i just think they're a really kind of sexy combo oh nice but That's um intense. but yeah purple i remember a few years ago i noticed like a lot of my artworks ended up being purple like unconsciously and quite a few items of clothing so i realized like purple was a maybe a thing for me what's the best advice you've ever received in regard to your art um i remember actually grayson perry giving a talk or a piece of advice that sort of stuck with me i thought was 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 bang on uh he said don't be precious about opportunities that you take just kind of take them all if you can like when you're kind of starting out because I remember, you know, I know of a lot of students who kind of fuss over, like, oh, should I go with this gallery or should I show here? I was like, no, just like get yourself out there, get your get your work out there, work hard, and mm. yeah, things can happen from the most unexpected 
places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, don't be don't be too precious. Don't be too pretentious as well. Yeah, unexpected, you know, job opportunities. Absolutely, I did. Uh, I was on the Great British Bake Off. I did extra slice with Joe Brand. And there was a director called Joe Mantello who was directing a production of Who's Fred of Virginia Wolf and Broadway, which got shut down during the pandemic and I don't think will ever come back. But I ended up being in that production because he was in London. He directed Wicked, the musical originally, and he was here doing notes on that. And he was in his hotel room watching Extra Slice, Great British Bake Off, reality TV, and went, oh, Russell Tovey, he'd be really good for Nick. So Rung up the producer and then I was good. suddenly on Broadway really on the back of doing <laughs> Extra Slice. So you yeah. never know, Guy. Exactly. So listeners, Keep always. open, everybody. Keep take open. take those opportunities or make them. Exactly. Um, Guy, also, I think the listeners need to know that your party trick is that you can ask you any <laughs> year... Sorry, I can tell you the name of a film and you will tell me who directed it and what year it was made. Well, you have caught me out on this, Rob. You were very pleased when you caught me out. Because <laughs> I asked him one and he got it wrong, but I was being quite obscure. Batch think... not included. What? Oh, man. Well, Steven Spielberg produced it. Uh, it was came out in 1988. I, who directed that? I think... You, you might have to Google it, but I think it was Joe Johnston... I've got no idea. The one that I call the flight the navigator. (laughs) You're going for a very specific time period. That that was made in 1986. Uh, You got me. Oh, damn it! Maybe a kind of you know. um... You normally get them all right, and the only one you didn't get right was Who's Eating Gilbert Grape? Was no, no, what was it? Wasn't that one? It was another one. Oh, do that one then. That's Lassie Halstrom, 1993. Love that. Robin Hood. Oh no, these are Kevin Costner. Kevin Reynolds was the director, and that came out in 1990. I know what it was. It was um, Benny and June, which no one uh, saw anyway. So, I mean, yeah. that was too hard. It was just my favourite film. 1993 too. came out, Johnny Depp. But, I, yeah. Love it. I, I don't know the Well, anyway, Guy, it's been such a joy to have you on tour car. Everybody go online and you can see his films, um, but hopefully you'll also get to see them in an exhibition context because they're really, really brilliant and you really must watch them from start to finish because they're extraordinary. We've been recording this in Rob's house. If you can hear anything in the background. Yeah, sorry about that. Renovations. Just like renovations happening. <laughs> renovations, but repairs, renovations. actually, not oh, renovations. Repairs. Okay. Repairs. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Guy. And you. are you on Instagram? I am. It's Guy J. Oliver. And you have a website as well? I do, yeah. GuyOliver.co.uk Brilliant. Right. And then we'll check out your forthcoming show when that gets announced. We will put that all in the blurb so people can go and see your Yeah, I can't piece. wait to see and the we film can't wait to see scoliosis and your teen years. Absolutely. It sounds and like your most personal project yet, so I'm very excited. Yeah. Well, on that note, we will be back very soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Guy. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com